Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here, and we have the honor of having, I'm going to go ahead and call it, the best developer in the Southwest of, uh, <laughs> of the state. Uh, even if it's five years from now, uh, he is making a name for himself, not just with his beard, not with his voice. Uh, we have Tyler Coble in the house. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Austin. What's going on, man? Doing good, guys. This is part two. We've been having a lot of guests come back on. So if you want to hear about Tyler's story, we're not going to cover that this time. You can you can slide back through those and, and figure that out. But man, I'll, I'll start off just saying this way. Something inside of you just said, fuck it uh, this year and holy banana balls. Um, I don't <laughs> know if there's even anybody hotter. We're going to cover a lot of stuff and I'm interested. I have some questions, but, but just kind of fill us in this year and and talk about, man, I feel like the growth and explosion is just out of this world. And I I don't know if you're living inside the storm, so you probably don't feel it as much as it looks from the outside. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild year for sure. I, uh, back when the pandemic hit, I guess I kind of got frustrated with no developers wanting to do anything, no investors wanting to do anything, anything. Everybody was kind of just on pause waiting to see what was going to happen. And so um, ended up finding a couple of opportunities that I knew were phenomenal deals and I couldn't let them go. Uh, so one of them was a 330,000 square foot shopping center that was zoned uh, for high density mixed use, so primed for redevelopment. And I was able to get it under contract for $18 million, which is only $13 a square foot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a mile, two miles away, lands trading for 30 to $35 a square foot. So I knew, you know, if I could figure out how to take this down, we'd figure it out, right? And uh, I actually ended up calling one of my investors, uh, borrowed $180,000 from him to put the down payment or put the earnest money payment down uh, and then pulled it off. We closed on it back in uh, March and that was the first of many. Um, so far this year, we've acquired a little over $35 million worth of uh, commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that point that you said, like, I got tired of developers not pulling the trigger. And it's like, they're like, and people say from the outside in, like, oh, he's just, no, like you're born and raised and you live most of your life in Nashville. So you've seen what's coming down the pipeline. And, and what I think people don't, I was talking about this today on another podcast. I don't think people really, the numbers tell the story, but the story is the numbers. And what I mean by that is like, if, if you really do your homework, Nashville was poised to be the next Austin before 2007 and they got de- destroyed. A lot of hotels had to be primped. So now they're making up for all those years that they had to kind of wait and it's taken off and people are relocating. And so you're the confidence to, to borrow that money and pull the trigger on that. It's like, yeah, like some out of towner probably wouldn't have been as confident as you were, but you, but you know, it, you feel it, you talk to the people. And so there's gotta be some level of confidence for you to keep saying yes to these projects or keep hunting. Right. Cause you know, the numbers behind the numbers. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know what's going to happen. I have the confidence in all the deals that we're going to do. I mean, we're, we're investing on some of the most rapidly emerging corridors in Nashville. Uh, most of our projects are within eight to 10 minutes of downtown. So, I mean, if you start looking at cities like Austin, Atlanta, Raleigh-Durham, I mean, Denver, Salt Lake City, you, you draw a circle eight to 10 minutes around downtown and everything is booming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at a city like Nashville and you've got... I mean, we just sold 13 acres, eight minutes from downtown for eight and a half million dollars. And you start thinking about that in Austin, there's, you couldn't find 13 acres, eight minutes from downtown Austin. So, you know, there's opportunities like that, where you look at all these other cities, it's always really smart to go out and do market studies, go visit Austin, go visit Salt Lake City, go visit Denver, whatever you want, and see how these other cities are performing, because then you'll start to realize like, okay, yeah, this road may not be the safest or the best area now, but because of the proximity to downtown, it's only a matter of time before it pops off, especially in a city like Nashville, where we refuse to accept public transit. They just keep shooting it down. So it's, man, traffic's only going to get worse. So, you know, everybody's going to want to be close to the, close to the core. No, agreed. And, and and I think like I love to like see people and I, I travel and like we're going down to San Clemente tomorrow for the for the week to hang out with a bunch of coaches and business owners and, and so on and so on. And like each city has its own vibe, but also I think what's happening with a lot of people working from Zoom and everything is I think everything's becoming a lot more localized. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, like I was I was joking that I'm gonna wear two outfits a day because I don't where I don't go anywhere anymore because everything's on zoom. So like, I never get to wear like clothes, you know? So like, I'm so excited to like, but like, that's the thing now is like your, your groceries are delivered. You, you don't really need to get in your car. And so if you start seeing those trends, like part of what you're building is, is creating kind of keeping them there and, and kind of giving them the experience they, they need without having to go downtown. And I think that's not, you know, it's, it's a different mindset. Totally, completely. That's exactly right. I mean, look, I think that um, cities like the the next version of a city is going to be in nodes. You'll have the downtown node. You'll have all of the adjacent nodes for all of the the you know little neighborhoods around it, and then you'll have the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are going to live, work, and play within these neighborhoods. So if you live in East Nashville, I mean, you already see this in Nashville. But if you live in East Nashville, you don't want to leave East Nashville. It's so easy. You can get everywhere in five to 10 minutes. You don't have to get on the interstate. You don't have to cross any bridges. It's super just quick. And it has everything you need. Same with, you know, uh, 12 South or Green Hills. I mean, Green Hills is a terrible neighborhood because of traffic and what's there. But I mean, it does. You really, if you wanted to live in Green Hills and never leave Green Hills, you have that option. So I think that we'll start to see a lot more of that develop over the next few years. And one of the things that I find you to be <laughs> super passionate about that it'd be hard pressed to find somebody else more passionate about, but walkable areas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've got a book up in my queue. One of the ones I saw you recommend, I'm, I'm interested to read it. Um, you know, t- talk us through that and, and kind of, cause I don't think people put enough thought process into like how cities were constructed and stuff. And, you know, you're starting to see these islands where they only allow golf carts and stuff. And I'm like, what a magical place. Yeah. They're amazing. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a reason people want to go vacation down at 30 a in the panhandle. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have not. It's a huge destination for Nashvillians. 
It was actually the the set for the Truman Show because okay. it's the idyllic town, like the perfect town. It was designed by an architect and they bought enough land kind of out in the middle, back in the day, it was in the middle of nowhere where they had the ability to implement their own zoning, their own rules and regulations to, to kind of create this idyllic community. And everyone rides bikes, everyone drives golf carts. Like you wouldn't say, hey, we're going to get in the car and go to the beach. No, it's we're going to take our bikes to the beach. We're going to walk to the beach. We'll take the golf cart to the beach. You know, you walk to dinner. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's funny, people pay to go vacation there and then go back to their homes and they're just like, yeah, this is fine. I'll drive 20 miles with no sidewalks to the nearest grocery store. Like, this is how my life should be. People just don't think about it because that's what they've always, that's what they've always had. It's what they've grown up with because, you know, America's cities back in the fifties and sixties, when we all started moving to the suburbs and all of a sudden you could afford to buy a house and land and a car they were built around cars. So that's why you have all of these streets with no sidewalks. That's why you have decrepit downtown cores. Uh, and that's why you have this massive fluctuation of people back into urban cores because they, they're starting to go, wow, okay, I can live upstairs. I can walk down the street to my favorite corner bar and hang out with all my friends you know, it's it's seven blocks to work. I'll just walk or ride a scooter or whatever. It's it's a much better lifestyle. Um, I mean, I, I hate cars with a passion. Um, I own a Tesla, but you know, it's that's I, I still wish I didn't have to have it because in a perfect world we wouldn't. You know, you look at uh, what Walt Disney wanted to see for Disney World. It was all of these monorails going all around and no cars anywhere, right? So. Um, I'm very passionate about urbanism. So there, there's a very interesting time in my life where we realized that we had too much. We were spending on cars and insurance and we lived in Austin and I rode the bus and took like easy cars for like two years. And I'll be honest with you. I really enjoyed it. Like I was like reading on the bus and like I was walking and like, you kind of had your time before work where you were kind of like taking a minute for yourself. And I'll be honest with you. Like I didn't miss my car at all. And like, granted I lived on South Congress and like, it was cool. Like it weren't too far, but man, I look back on that time and I'm like, that's pretty dope. Like I really enjoyed that time. Well, dude, think about how much money people spend on cars. Mm -hmm. If you just didn't have to have a car, I mean, that's what on the low end, 20 to $30,000. If you're going to get something that you don't have to work on. Oh, and they're out of control now too. Yeah. Most, I mean, dude, you're seeing like four runners that are 70 to $80,000. I can't (laughs) believe that. And people are buying them left and right. So either you're paying 70 or $80,000 cash for a car, or you're putting some money down and you're getting a $600 a month car payment. I mean, you think about how much money you have to go make off of your investments or whatever, whatever, just to cover that. I mean, you know, just from a a wealth building standpoint, walkable cities are better for people, not even to mention the whole lifestyle thing, just from a wealth building perspective, because uh, there's a direct correlation in every single city in America. Um, I haven't come across anything that doesn't fit this case yet. The most walkable areas are the highest valued areas. You think about 12th Avenue South in Nashville, and most locals can't stand it because it's crazy. There's a lot of tourists over there. Uh, It's always full of traffic. There's no parking hardly at all down that corridor. None. And there's always tons of people, 
tons of people. It's better for retail because you now you've got people walking by your store. Maybe they'll just drop in to get a coffee. I mean, that's that's what people don't think about. You're, the average person doesn't think about is, you know, because people talk about wanting to get cars in and out quickly. Well, cars don't generate any business at all. Mm-hmm. If I'm driving from point A to point B and I'm just trying to get through there as quickly as possible, I'm not walking past all these local stores. I'm not going to walk in. I'm not going to grab a drink here. I'm not going to eat over here and look at this retail shop. I'm not going to spend any money. I'm just trying to drive right through. So that creates no commerce. Mm. See, now you're giving me ideas because we're we're in the process of looking at 35 acres in Texas on the river with a bunch of cabins. And we're going to turn the old Victorian house into a barbecue joint. And then there's an old mill on it that has like a windmill and like it's sitting on water. We're going to call it the, the, the mill and turn it into yeah. a speakeasy, you know. But then I was thinking about like creating a garden and like, you know, it's right outside of San Antonio. Like just that that day that they could spend with their kids and let the kid run in the field and maybe put a dog park out there. Like, like one of the things I love about Nashville, uh, and it's grown on me over the years. It didn't grow on me when I lived there, but, um, the, the dog parks in Nashville and the parks in general, um, I think are unlike many cities I've ever met. And, and to me, that quality alone keeps me coming back to Nashville. Yeah. I mean, you've got to put those kinds of things first, in my opinion, it, it almost goes against just the, I guess the, what everybody thinks it should be like. So we're, we just bought 2.3 acres right down mm-hmm. the street from my office. And instead of maximizing out the site and building it all the way to the street and do, doing, you know, going up five stories, everything I can, we looked at it differently and we said, okay, how can we make this work with as few buildings as possible? So it already had one, two, three, four existing buildings, all smaller. I think the biggest one's about 5,000, 6,000 square feet. The smallest one's about 1,000. We said, how can we make this more of a community park that happens to have food and beverage? So we left all of the green space open. We actually pushed all of the parking out to the edges. So there's no parking next to most of the buildings. It's all in the back and the sides. And out of that 2.3 acres, we only have 18% building coverage. Only about 18,000 square feet of building. So we've got a fenced-in dog park. We've got a fenced-in playground. We've got a lawn with an event stage. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be this really different experience but we're pushing cars out of the way and we're saying, no, you get here, you walk around, you explore, you enjoy this area as if it's your community park. And how are you generating revenue off of that to pay for it? So we're renting out the buildings. Okay. And the way that we're approaching, we're actually getting well above market rates on the prices per square foot because the tenants look at it and they go, yeah, of course people are going to want to spend three, four, five hours a day here. And of course, music festivals are, are going to want to come be here. And of course, we'll do farmer's markets on the weekends. And, and there's no other property like that in Nashville. So they look at it and go, well, yeah, we can afford to pay more because there's nothing else like this. Guys, you know what, man? I have been in this short-term rental game for so long. I, You know what? I think I'm paying the light bills over at Airbnb and HomeAway and those companies. They're, the fees are getting ridiculous. And the only way to do that is to stop building your uh, real estate on somebody else's platform. And my man, Mark Simpson, Book Direct Playbook, the book is coming out. 
And this is a no brainer. We got the hotels. The hotels do 50% uh, direct booking on our website because of the tips and tricks that he's taught us with marketing and so on and so on. I've got a preview of this book. It is a game changer. Make sure you check it out, dude. You won't regret keeping more of your money for yourself. And I think, God, you and I have very similar thought processes. When I, like the, the like right when COVID started, I was in uh, Modesto visiting a friend and, uh, you know, no, nothing was open. And I was like, man, I haven't had a haircut in like a month and a half. I need a haircut. And he was like, well, on the QT, on the down low, I know a place that has their windows closed, but it's a barbershop. And so he goes, walk through this alley and go through this thing and meet this dude. And like, it was like a whole, like we were picking up drugs. And uh, I walked in and the music was blaring and there was people in there. And this young kid, he was like 18, he was like 17 years old. And he said, look, I've been apprenticing for you know six months. And uh, he's like, this is about to be the longest haircut you ever had. I'm just letting you know that, but it's going to be great. And I was like, okay. Like, so it, it was like an hour and a half haircut. It was like his third time he's ever been doing it. But this kid was, it was the best haircut I ever got. And in that moment, I thought to myself, this is how we come back. Pride in business. Yep. Directly made from us with full ownership of who you are. And I see that in your tenants that you pick. I see that in Daisy May, your hat company that you're invested in. I see that in everything that you do. And I know that's a part of, part of pride for you is really supporting that local brand or that local voice and letting, giving them a platform to share their gifts with the with community. Oh yeah. It's huge. I mean, I, we won't work with any corporate or national tenants. We just don't do it. Um, there are plenty of other buildings in Nashville uh, that fit them, but you know I'm a small business owner. I think Nashville was built by small businesses. I think the character in neighborhoods comes from small businesses. I don't think that there's some national company that's just going to come in and take over a space and suddenly that neighborhood's going to be cool. It doesn't really work like that. You know, it, that comes from the people that live in the area that make it what it becomes, and. So we we design all of our spaces to be ideal for small business owners, and we're giving them an opportunity and making it attainable for them because Nashville's gotten really expensive, man. I mean, I remember when I was working down on West End when I first got started as a commercial leasing agent, we were renting out office space for $21 or $22 a foot full service. And by the time I got out of there, which was three years ago, we were at $32 a foot full service. So we went up 50% in four years. Um, I mean, I would imagine, you know, it, depending on how that leasing in that building is going, they're probably close to $35 or $40 a foot now, just with where Nashville is. And so you start thinking about that for a, for a small business owner, for a thousand square feet, you're paying 40 grand a year. Like that, mm-hmm. That's expensive, man. So you're on both sides of the transaction a lot of time where you're the developer and you're leasing out the space and you're the broker and so on. Where do we draw the line as far as investors and how have we played into this with our greediness and raising rents and everything? Like where, where do you draw the line with that as well too? Uh, That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. I have thought about it a little bit. I think that that's why we've always done friends and family. And I have a a tough time bringing in like a private equity firm because I I was listening to a podcast, um, I guess it was yesterday, the other day. And uh, I think it was was on how I built this. And it was talking about Title IX, uh, which is a a women's sports clothing store. 
And she owns 100% of the company and has always done it that way because it allows her to push her mission forward. Because, you know, we don't always have to be out making money. I mean, everything that we do is here to make money. We're here to give our investors a return. But that doesn't need to be our North Star, our number one focus. We can have other missions that matter to us while we do that. So I think a lot of these developers and investment firms are too focused on, no, we need the profits done in three to five years, get out and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas we'll look at it and go, okay, but what if we look at this from from a long-term perspective? What if I'm investing in East Nashville for the next 50 years? How do I want this neighborhood to look 30 years from now so that when I'm doing another project, it's probably going to do better because of what we've done for the 30 years prior to that, right? So you start to get this critical mass. I mean, you know, we've bought a hotel across the street from that project I was just telling you about. So, you know, we're getting our, we're creating our own critical mass, right? That hotel that we're doing is going to affect US 41. US 41 is going to affect the hotel. And, you know, that's a great thing for both investment groups. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think investors do play a part in that. I I don't think that it's you need to completely change your investment philosophy or your approach, but it should be something that you think about. I mean, small business creates character within a neighborhood, which ends up driving rents and making property more valuable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's a good investment philosophy. I think that lenders, I think lenders are really to blame. Yeah, I agree. if we're going to get into, you know, who's not doing it right, I think it's banks because they are so risk averse that they prefer national credit and regional credit tenants over small businesses every day. And while I completely understand that and I get it from a risk perspective, we should have some sort of proactivity to where we are promoting small businesses within our neighborhoods. So we started a company. I'll be honest with you, it's probably one of the more harder companies to visualize in my entire life to explain it to people because people don't get it. But what we've understood is my business partner, we sold a property together and he said, what business do you want to create? He said, I'm done buying single family residence. Let's create something that's going to last and and create an impact. So we created a company called Bronco Unlimited and Logistics. Basically, the company is capital raising, helps with being, you know, introduce you to the right people, logistics, construction, the whole nine. And what we're realizing is like our, our kind of tagline is like, you know how we don't fuck up as a business? We actually do what we say we're going to do. And we do it with a smile. And what yeah. I'm realizing as I look at you and the companies that you invest in and stuff like that is like, I'm, everybody is out there creating bots for, for DMs. They're, they're creating, automating everything. I'm going 90 miles the other way. You know what somebody said to me the other day? What's something old fashioned that you still do that people don't do as much anymore? I said, fucking hug and shake a hand. It's the truth. Dude, I'm doing the things that nobody else is doing because you're trying to scale. I'm not trying to scale me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be connected in this relationship because over a long trajectory, that's going to bode well for me and my businesses. And people want to do businesses. They want to do business with people. And, and so yeah. the more you try to scale yourself out of it, which I'm 100% for, make sure that at least your personal connection is with your employees and they understand how you view it and so on and so on. And, and you know, when I'm dealing with you and I'm dealing with Bruce, like, 
like y'all don't need to be on this podcast. You don't need to do the things. You don't need to speak free at my event. But there's something there that tells you that like this is gonna this is an ROI for me in the social capital realm, and I respect the shit out of that. And I think I think if more people did that, I think that they would see their business grow exponentially. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I, and I just enjoy it. You know, there's something to be said about. Like, I mean, hell, if I had to charge for everything that I was doing at some point, it's just like, what, what is going on? I, I mean, you know, what's going on here? I think um, I, mean, I enjoy teaching because I'm passionate about what I do. I'm not just here trying to squeeze every dollar out of this turnip. You know, it's sometimes there's a little bit more to it. And I think that, you know, as far as my mission goes, which is preserving our neighborhoods and celebrating small business owners, if I can convince one other investor and developer to do the same, fucking great, man. We've, we're helping neighborhoods be better, right? We're helping other people send their kids to school, you know, and, and have a great life for themselves. And you're, you're helping communities do better, right? I mean, if you, if you spend a dollar at a local business, I don't know what the what the actual number is, but it gets recirculated within that community a number of times. Whereas if you go and spend money at Walmart, hell, that goes right out of you know Nashville and a bunch of it goes to China, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about how much that actually benefits your local economy. It doesn't at all. Mm-hmm. And and one of the tactics that I see you implementing recently, maybe we can get into the weeds a little bit. Uh, these micro businesses like the car wash and these smaller spaces and, and, and you've talked about local business, you know, what, from a commercial real estate point of view, what are you seeing in the numbers that, that drives you towards these smaller footprints when it comes to businesses and stuff like that? I mean, we're able to get just as good, if not better returns for our investors on doing smaller projects like that. Uh, The great thing is too, I mean, the overall dollar, value uh, or raise is a lot smaller. I mean, most of our capital raises are in that two to $4 million range. Um, You know, I'm not having to go out and build some massive shopping center. Um, You know, you typically think about most six tenant strip centers and you're probably averaging two to 3000 square feet of tenant, right? So you're looking at a 12 to 18,000 square foot building. Well, with what we're doing, it's less than 3,000 square feet for six tenants. So I get just as good of diversity and, and risk abatement by ha- because I have you know multi-tenant situation. I'm getting above market rents and I'm helping out the community. I mean, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer and it's so much easier for me to go and raise capital for these projects um, than it would be if I was doing something you know four times the size. I think that on the surface if I had to put it all together, it's like everybody's adding too much complexity in their businesses. And in my opinion, you're allowing yourself freedom to kind of pivot and move and, and, and kind of, yeah, you're a bigger fish, but you're, but you don't have so much stuff weighing you down that you can pivot, move, be flexible if something doesn't hit right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of freedom in that where you don't feel beholden to, you know, raising too much money or not being able to pivot if something were to switch in the economy. Yeah. I mean, I want to do projects that interest me and that I think are fun. And I want to push the boundary of what people think commercial real estate development is. I don't want to just go build another strip center. Mm-hmm. Like that's so boring to me. I get that there's money to be made in it, but damn, I mean, that doesn't, you know, the built environment impacts 
so many people's daily lives. If I build a strip center on the corner that has, you know, some national phone retailer and a check cashing store and a pawn shop, what is that going to do to a neighborhood compared to putting in five micro restaurants and a bar that are all locally owned? Like there's a complete contrast uh, between the types of projects and and what that will do for a community. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that stuff's really important to us. I love it. And so, you know, you have all these big things going on and, and I think you kind of operate in the same vein that I do where I'm not saying that I don't ever have limiting beliefs or like negative thoughts go in, but I just don't honor them or attach myself to them. Like, are you to a point, with your mindset and kind of everything that you've created where you're just like, you know, I'm going to jump on this baby. We're going to ride this fucking bull and we're going to see what happens. And at some point I, uh, we might say, I need to bring in some help, you know, some extra help. But, but at this point, I feel like to you, it's kind of like, it's nothing more than leveraging people, you know, just getting more solid people in the crew. And, and, you know, do you, do you, do you wake up every day and feel like the leader that you want to be, or is it something that you're always striving towards? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't even think about it, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably the best part of that. Right. I don't even have to think about how, you know, I'm not big enough to take down these projects or whatever. I mean, it's just a, you know, we'll just, we'll go get it done. Cool. I want to do this. Let's figure it out. I mean, I, you know, I've always had the mentality that I'm the best horse to bet on. So I'm going to bet on myself. Let's go. And, and, and here's the, 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 the rubber, the rub with that. When you're betting on yourself, it's pretty easy. It's, it's, it's not messy. Hey, right. hey, cowboy, that's not okay. Do better. You know, uh, don't, you know, work out, you know, meditate, do, you know, whatever you need to do, but do better. And I think one of these things that I've lived my life on is like, everybody's walking around saying they had a bad day. Not really that fucking hour sucked that was like i did, it didn't go my way but like what's the point like are, are you solution-based thinking or are you going to keep you know moving forward you know it's like it's, it's pretty cut and dry black and white it's really simple um what's the I mean, option that, exactly i mean that was uh, i don't know what happened to me earlier in my life where i figured this out but it's like if, if i don't get it done nobody else is going to get it done so if i've got a problem unless i solve it nothing is nothing good is going to happen with it Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just a matter of, okay, well, yeah, maybe this situation sucks. It's not a good spot to be in. Let's go fix it. How are we going to get out of it? Let's figure it out. So as you uh, get ready for the new year and you got all these projects coming on and they're all in different phases, you know, what is the, uh, what's the, what's the outlook towards next year? You know, or do you, do you get to a point where there's too many projects going on and you're trying to get certain projects to certain stages or you just keep jumping at opportunities when they take, when they're in front of you? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, every year um, for us is probably going to be alternating where, you know, this year we just had this absolute skyrocket of a year. Um, I mean, we seven X the amount of properties that we have under uh, management um, asset that we own, we set, we seven to eight times the assets that we actually property manage my property management company. And we doubled the brokerage. Mm-hmm. So with all of that growth comes a lot of new problems that we just didn't used to have before. Right. So I went from having four employees around this time last year to now we're at over 15. We're actively looking to, we'll probably double that next year. 
And, um, you know, I'm calling it kind of a slingshot year, right? You got to kind of take a step back in order to go forward again. And so we're going to be working on the systems and the people and just kind of getting all of that together. I just read that in a book, uh, this new book I just started called The New uh, psycho Cybergenics. And as Dan uh, Sullivan was talking about, uh, be, be a rubber band. Yep. And he says, he says, you know, every now and then, you know, and it's funny that you say that because like, that was me too. It's like, okay, here's the clients, here's the scope of work. And now this first quarter of this year is all about streamlining all the systems, bringing in some help. And then we, the team gets rustled back up again, and then we shoot back out again. And I don't think people, you know, they're always, they're always pushing forward, but there's like, I live my life off seasons. I think there's different times for different things. And you got to lay the hammer down sometimes, or you got to back up sometimes. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at uh, formula one is a phenomenal example of this. Those machines are some of the best engineered vehicles in the world. I mean, they're, they're spending millions and millions of dollars a year just to work in on these cars, make sure they have the perfect parts or they always function, whatever. Mm-hmm. They still take pit stops and fuel up <laughs> and change their tire and do whatever they need to before they get back on the road and get right back into the race. Yeah. Right. And and so a lot of people, you know, you gotta, you gotta do that for yourself too, you know? Yeah. That's a good, I like that. So if people want to find your podcast, the book you wrote, they want to follow your journey along, how would they do that? Yeah. So my podcast is the commercial real estate investor podcast. Um, Each week we're just releasing episodes, tips, investing strategies on commercial real estate. Um, check us out on YouTube at, at Tyler Cobble. Um, we're just doing video, multiple videos there every week again on more commercial real estate investing. And if you actually want to interact with me, Instagram is best at commercial in Nashville with underscores as spaces in between the words. Um, I answer every DM. So come say, Hey, I love it. I can't wait to have an event at one of your places, my man. Yeah. Guys, definitely follow this dude. Uh, you you won't be disappointed. I'm really excited to see what unfolds. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Share this with a friend and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on -on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.